if you were speaking with someone who does not align themselves with God's family, would they agree with that? Would they agree with your assessment of what makes God's family unique? Would they agree that it's inclusive, diverse, grace-filled, eternal? Could depend on their experience. You know, it's, um, you, you read about God's family um, quite often, I think, in the news today. I mean, you hear the word evangelical almost every day. And it's never associated with anything good, I don't think. Like, I, I, I don't read about, um, and if, if there, I have seen good things reported on the church, but it's more like, you know, in, an individual church uh, did this in the community or, you know, is involved in this in, in their own backyard or whatever, or they help this person out. Um, but as far as the family of God, Christians together, the culture is not really a positive thing right now. At least not, not that I've seen. Maybe you've seen something different, but not, not that I've seen. Um, usually it's, it's associated with uh, specific politics, right? Um, it's associated with a general type of place where Christians gather on Sunday mornings or a specific style of worship that, that is engaged, or maybe the kind of language used. Um, you know, when I think Christian culture, I, I think like the obligatory um, sign in the house, Joshua 1.9, you know, as for me and my house, we'll serve the Lord, and nicely scrolled letters, or Jeremiah 29.11 somewhere, you know, uh, God will bless us and prosper us. You know, that's, that's kind of what I think of um, when I consider Christians as, as a culture, the family of God as a culture. Um, and on the other hand, we also have people shouting across the aisle. We have people being exclusive instead of inclusive. We have homogeneity instead of diversity. And uh, when I look at that, I, I don't think that, that nullifies anyone's salvation. Like people have misunderstandings and make mistakes all the time. I don't think it necessarily nullifies their salvation. What, what I think of when I see Christians behaving in those ways or doing those things, um, I consider it more like a family reunion. You know, when you show up at a family reunion and, and if you're there for like any longer than five or 10 minutes and you're actually talking with people and you just have to reckon with the fact, wow, this is my blood. You know, and if, has anyone been to a family reunion? Does anyone go regularly? Like, has anyone else had that experience where you just look around the room and go, yikes, <laughs> like this, this blood courses through my veins, you know? Um, we, the, but that is the tie that binds us. There, there's, we, we share a, a bloodline. That's the tie that binds. It's the same way with the family of God. For better or worse, Jesus' blood is that tie. And baptism is the binding of it. Baptism is the entrance into that bloodline. In the, way, in the uh, words of Romans 6, Paul writes, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? 
Okay, so I want to be absolutely clear on that. All of us who are baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. So this is not uh, a second chance. This is not a new opportunity. Um, this is not uh, for a more fulfilled life. That's not what baptism is about. In the words of William Willimon, who is a contemporary theologian, he says, the chief biblical analogy for baptism is not the water that washes, but the flood that drowns. There is a death associated with this act, a death of sinful nature, a death of, of wickedness. Um, it is in alignment with Christ's death on the cross. It's a sacrificial thing. So let me then pose this question because our story today can get really confusing if, if this is scripturally, this is what we understand baptism to be. So our, our story gets really confusing then. Why was Jesus baptized? Son of God, perfect, free of sin. Why would he need to be drowned and cleansed? Why would he need to take part in this, in this act? Especially since baptism as it had been occurring up to now was a baptism of repentance. John's baptism was one of repentance. Now, some kind of, uh, I'll, I'll say, pseudo-Christian groups, and not even recently, I mean, this is very historic, have claimed that, well, this is when Jesus became God's son. He was, a he was just like us, but he dedicated himself to God so fully and lived so perfectly that God claimed him at this moment and set him on this on this new path. He was, uh, he was adopted, this, this is an is a ancient heresy called adoptionism. One of the names of it is called adoptionism, um, where Jesus was actually made God's son, but he started out just like any of us. Um, but we still have to make sense of God's words in that moment when Jesus comes up out of the water and the heavens are torn open. God's words, you are my son. Not you have become my son. Not you are now my son. This is a general statement. It's not time-based. It's not in the moment. It's a general statement. You are my son. This is your identity. That's important because it separates Jesus' baptism from John's baptism. People were coming to John to say, I want to do better. Um, I acknowledge what you're saying, that the kingdom of heaven is coming, and I want to be prepared. So I want to hear you preach. I want to comprehend what you're saying. I want to confess it back to you. I want to align my life with what you are preaching, this, this gospel, um, and, and I want to prepare myself. And John says, then prepare yourself for this. There is one coming after me whose baptism will be greater than this. It's not your words to God. This is a total conquering of your life by the Holy Spirit. This is God's claim on you. The Holy Spirit will baptize you with fire, not with water. Now, um, instead of going to God then, all these people were coming out to John to get to God. Instead of going to God, John was saying, God comes to you through this new baptism, okay? And Jesus shows up on the scene. John says, I have no business baptizing you. You have nothing to repent of. 
but you're the son of God. I have no business doing this. And Jesus says, it's necessary to fulfill all righteousness. All right, so this is thick, but I, I, it's important that we wade through this. What Jesus is doing is paving a new way through baptism. He's taking this act of God's word and, and water, just mere physical water. He's combining them to create something new. And him coming up out of the water, seeing the heavens rent open, the, the Holy Spirit descend on him, something that John himself witnessed, nothing like this had happened up to this point. God didn't speak out of heaven and say, this is my son, you are my son. That hadn't happened before. Jesus was paving a new way through baptism, okay? In other words, through this act, he says, all are welcome into the midst of God. It's no longer dependent on your confession of God. It's no longer dependent on your um, contrition. We'll come back to that in a second. But he's saying righteousness has been fulfilled. You don't need to do anything. You don't need to say anything. You don't need to be a certain person to come to God anymore. That has been done. I, I am doing that now. I'm fulfilling this act of, of righteousness. So maybe a, a, different, um, a different way of putting it, a more contemporary way of putting it might be this. The law that God had established through Moses, um, you, you have to be this holy to enter the kingdom of God to be called my children. You have to do these things and act this way and be this way um, to be part of the family of God. The law was like putting up a border wall, okay? It's like saying you have to be this holy to enter. You have to have these credentials to enter. And what Jesus did was put in a gate, not one that opens and shuts. There are no doors on this gate. It's open all the time. It's welcome to anybody. So these standards of people um, trying to be this holy, trying to scale the, the, the wall, trying to tunnel under the wall, he's saying, stop now. All that is done. You are free to enter, but enter here through baptism, through this way that I have created for you, through this righteousness that I have fulfilled. So if you don't have the proper documentation, if you, if you have a criminal history, if you're not of a certain age, it doesn't matter anymore. It doesn't matter. Those standards of righteousness have been fulfilled. This is necessary for me to fulfill all righteousness, Christ says. So no matter what your uh, history is, no matter what your qualifications are, you are welcome into the family of God through this gate that Christ has established through Christ himself. Jesus meets those requirements. So the life of God, the life in his kingdom through Christ is pure gift. We continue through that uh, with that Romans text in, in verse six, he continues, we were buried therefore with Christ by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the father, we too might walk in the newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. John was saying when people came to him, here's what you need to know. Here's what you need to say. Here's how you need to live. This is a baptism of repentance. It gives us nothing. 
It's a statement of our activity to God. Jesus' baptism brought forgiveness. It brought righteousness. It was the alignment of our unrighteousness with God's righteousness. It was in alignment of the fact that we have nothing, we have no place in the kingdom of God. We have no place in the presence of God in Christ bringing us into the presence of God. This is Christ's baptism. It gives the Holy Spirit. It gives forgiveness. It gives us a new identity in Christ. Therefore, it gives us a new role in his kingdom. It's not, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I need to uh, achieve this. I need to achieve that. But rather, it is, join me. I've done everything for you. You have the opportunity now to be with me. You have the honor and the privilege of joining me, not working alongside me, living in me. And that is a very, very different thing than anything that had come before him. This act is pure gift. So um, this, our, our particular tribe, our, our little um, you know, slice of Christianity, we hold to infant baptism for this, for this reason. Because it is not about what we are able to comprehend. It's not about... Um, what we are able to say or the sincerity with which we say it. Let me use a case from the life of Christ himself. Jesus was baptized before he was crucified. The apostles were baptizing people before Jesus was crucified. With this new baptism that Christ instituted, how do we know that they were not comprehending what they should have comprehended? How do we know that they were not confessing the words that should have been confessed with the sincerity with which it should be confessed? How do we know that, that they weren't doing it right? Because nobody knew that Christ had to be crucified. They couldn't comprehend that. Nobody could, therefore, no one could confess correctly what he had to do or to the level of, of faith that they needed, that Christ was the Son of God because nobody could comprehend that yet. He, hadn't wrote, he hasn't risen from the dead. He hadn't been crucified. And even if they were saying these things, we know that at the moment of his crucifixion, everybody turned on him anyway. There's no way they could have achieved this level of faith to warrant this new baptism. They're sinners. Surprise, right? They, they can't get away from this. Jesus himself is right in front of them, teaching them, preaching to them, leading them. Jesus Christ himself. And they still walked away. They still fumbled. They still misunderstood. There, it's not a level with which we comprehend or confess these things. That's not what this new baptism is about. They all turned on him. We turn on him. And still... We get this promise. Nothing can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. This marvelous promise in one of the most famous chapters in Scripture, in Paul's words, nothing can separate you from the love of, of God in Christ our Lord. Why? Why not? Because God has laid claim to you. And that's not something that gets broken. We break our claim to God all the time. We probably did it 80 times this morning, right? We do, we, 
We're fallen, we're short, but God is not. This claim that baptism makes is God's claim on us. Those words that he spoke to Christ, you are my son, you are my son. Paul says we are baptized into Christ. That means those words are for us. You are my son, you are my daughter, you are my child. You are loved, dearly loved and treasured by me. And with you, I am well, well pleased. You are clothed with Christ. You are his son and daughter. You are the co-heir of heaven because you are one with Christ Jesus. Every status, every gift that is his is yours in him. And baptism is the entrance into that identity, into that new ministry. So the question becomes then, do we live by the old covenant of instructions this is what it means to be in the kingdom of God, doing, achieving, being here. Or do we live by our identity, which is Christ, who has done, who has achieved, who is already here, and we are brought up into this identity. This is the New Testament, the new covenant that we enter in baptism. Baptism, that's not to say like, you know, well, okay, you baptize infants, so they're just automatically saved. It doesn't, it doesn't matter what anybody does for the rest of their life. You're just like a, a sin-free for all. Um, first of all, Paul continues Romans making that case. Should we keep sinning so that grace may abound? By no means. It's the same way with baptism. It's, it's not saying like, okay, well, we never have to engage God again because we we're already baptized as infants and that saved us. What it does is pro it provides this, it establishes a foundation for us to continue growth. In comprehension to continue developing the words that we confess the way we praise God the way we grow in God because every time we comprehend every time we think we get it and every time we we confess what we comprehend and every time we think we're sincere enough to obey we have to ask ourselves to what degree do we need to be and do these things to be counted the children of God to what degree do we need to comprehend God's gifts? Like, what, what's the bare minimum? I mean, anything short of perfection should disqualify us, right? What do we need to do? What's the bare minimum? What are the words that we need to speak? Bare minimum to be saved by God. Because surely those aren't enough. Okay, Jesus is Lord. Well, what does that mean? Because I don't spend my money like he's Lord. I don't talk to people like he's Lord. I don't raise my family like he's Lord. So what, what does that actually mean? What's the bare minimum? And I guarantee you, as soon as you start answer, answering that question, you, you hit a wall because it's never enough. There is no bare minimum. That's the problem with the law of God. If you break a part of it, you break all of it. The standard is perfection. So the gift of God in baptism is that we're brought into Christ's perfection. Because when we fail in our comprehension, and when we fail in our confession, and when we fail in our sincerity, and when we fail in our obedience, which we do, not just saying we've done wrong, but turning from it, contrition and repentance, be drowned and die with all sins and evil desires. Here we go back to that baptism as a water that drowns. And that a new man should daily emerge and arise to live before God in righteousness and purity forever. That new man is Christ. It's, it's a consistent, it is a moment by moment eternal process where our sinful nature is put to death and Christ is raised in us. It happens all the time because we are in him 
not with him, not alongside him like his little sidekicks or helpers. We are in him, which means we are the extension of God in the world. Or in the words of Paul, the body of Christ, the hands and feet of Christ. He works and moves and speaks and loves through us. And that should dramatically change the way the world would answer that question, what makes God's family unique? That should change everything, that we are the extension of, of Christ. Consider um, his ministry after baptism. So if, if, we, if we follow that track, Christ comes up out of the water, the Spirit descends on him, and immediately, Scripture says, he is driven into the wilderness to face Satan alone to withstand temptation perfectly, to be righteousness, to be righteous in the face of temptation where Israel failed in the wilderness, Christ succeeds. And then what does he do? He comes back into town, makes disciples, starts bringing people to himself, preaching the gospel, healing lives, undoing death. This is the ministry of God. And then he ascends and reigns in heaven forever. This is the ministry of Christ. This is the identity of Christ. This is our life in him. We live the same way. As we, and as we fall, we fall on that baptismal promise. You are my son. You are my daughter. Because that does not change. The grace of God is too great. So in the shower, we remember the waters that drowned us. When we wash our hands, we remember the waters that cleanse us. We remember that we rise in Christ new. When we cross ourselves in worship, like this isn't just like some weird Catholic thing, right? This is, this is a memory of the very motion that was made over you in your baptism. You were baptized in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. That's what we do. We, we remember the work of God. We remember the mark of the Holy Spirit that God placed on us so that every time God looks at us, he sees the cross of Christ. He sees the empty tomb of Christ. And he says, this son, this daughter of mine was raised and identified in my own son. They're mine. So in that triune name, Try your name, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, into which you were baptized. Please hear the promise and the blessing of God now. May God keep and send you. May he bury you and raise you. May he humble you and empower you. Child of the Father, co-heir with the Son, and victor in the Spirit. Amen.